Peace, peace. We are back once again with Masterminds with Brother Shemel. I'm your host, Brother Shemel, and um, definitely I'm glad to be back with another episode. Um, just want to take the time out to thank everyone who has been supporting me on the podcast. Um, like I said, shout out to my day ones, those who have continued to support me throughout uh, my journey, those who continue to support me, and those who are new to Masterminds with Brother Shamel. Um, be sure to go and check out my website, shamel.com. That's S H E M hyphen E L.com, where you can check out uh, my podcasts, my videos. Um, order my books and other merchandise that I have available. Also, you will get the ability to go ahead and proceed to get um, a free um, course lesson um, for you to check out and for you to give me your feedback. Um, we're still looking towards the possibility of, of um kicking off the MetaMind uh, Mastery Mentorship, MetaMind Mastery Mentorship. So if you're interested in that, definitely reach out to me through my website and uh, let me know. So with that being said, I also, um, again, I, I've mentioned before um, previously that, you know, we had a great show with... Um, Dr. Jose Pimienta Bay. We are actually looking towards having another um, interview. I'm looking to do another interview very soon. Uh, I reached out to um, a great scholar in his own right, um, the brother Asir, the Duke of Tears, um, to interview his, him and his other half, his wife, uh, Selena Cordoba L., so um, hopefully um, we can make that happen. Uh, he has given me the uh, let me know that he is definitely interested in making that happen. So hopefully by the end of this month, you will have something to listen to. I'm excited about that. So without further ado, uh, want to definitely get into the topic at hand. And this is dealing with the logos. Now, some of you are very familiar with the term logos. Some of you are not familiar with the term. Um, I believe I have touched on it in the past, but I wanted to dedicate an entire uh, episode to this subject matter. And actually, the logos is such where, you know, one episode in itself doesn't do justice. It doesn't explore all the aspects of the logos. But I think this will be a great introduction to it. So with that being said, as always, I like to start from reading a passage from the Circle 7. And I will read none other than chapter 15 in the Circle 7, which speaks about the logos. I'm only going to read five verses. Um... And this is the story um, about self-examination. 
Okay. So I'll go ahead and read. It says, The Harbinger had paved the way. The Logos had been introduced to men as love made manifest. And he must now begin his divine ministry. And he went forth into the wilderness to be alone with Allah that he might look into his inner heart and note its strength and worthiness. And with himself, he talked and said, he said, my lower self is strong. By many ties, I am bound down to carnal life. Have I the strength to overcome and give my life a willing sacrifice for men? When I shall stand before the face of men and they demand a proof of my messiahship, what will I say? So I just want to stop there. And that kind of sets the tone for me speaking about the logos. Um, first, if for those who may or may not know, the word logos is a Greek word meaning word. So literally, when it says the the logos had been introduced to men as love made manifest, it is saying that the word had been introduced to men as love made manifest. But here, logos is used as a title. So that's very key with a capital L. So particularly in more science. Uh, it is understood that the logos is the perfect word, that which creates, that which destroys, and that which saves. Okay. Um, and so you have the logos, you have the circle, which is a symbol of the perfect man, and the number seven, which is the number of the perfect man thus you have the phrase the logos circle seven okay so this is used to describe the one who many um, call Jesus in modern day the Christ right so as a master, as a Hebrew master, he's considered the logos of the Holy One, right? The omnipotent, right? That which say that which creates, that which destroys, that which saves, right? So, but this is the symbolism of love made manifest, and the only Savior is love. So, I want to kind of get into that deeper, and the only way to fully, you cannot in my humble opinion, fully comprehend the concept of the Logos without reading the first chapter of the book of John in the Bible, the gospel according to John, or what they say, St. John. So I'm going to read that. Then I'm actually, because I'll be reading from the Schofield Bible, and I'm going to actually read the footnote 
in there where it actually describes the logos to give you some context. Okay. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world and the world was made by him, but in the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them, he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bear witness of him and cried saying this was he of whom I spake he that cometh after me is preferred before me for he was before me and of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace so I'll just stop there so as you see is speaking about this word, right? As I mentioned, the logos is Greek for word. So let's, when I go into this um, footnote, you're going to see exactly what I'm, what I'm speaking about. So in the footnote from the Schofield Bible, in this chapter, it reads the following. Greek logos, Aramic, Memra, used in the Targums, or Hebrew paraphrases for God. The Greek term means one, a thought or concept. Two, the expression or utterance of that thought. As a designation of Christ, therefore, logos is peculiarly um, felicious. Or, yeah. Felicitous, whatever that means, because in him 
one in him are embodied all the treasures of the divine wisdom, the collective thought of God. And two, he is from eternity, but especially in his incarnation, the utterance or expression of the person and thought of deity. And the being, person, and work of Christ, deity is told out. Grace, summary. Grace is the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. It is therefore constantly set in contrast to law, under which God demands righteousness from man, as under grace he gives righteousness to man. Laws connected with Moses and works, grace with Christ and faith. And I'll just stop there. So, to focus on the main point, this connects with the logos. So now you have a a better concept of why you say, why it says in the circle seven that the logos was introduced to men as love made manifest and he must now begin his divine ministry. When you understand or comprehend that the logos is a concept or thought or the expression or utterance of that thought, right? Love being made manifest, right? So this also ties back to chapter two of the circle seven, specifically when um, Elihu is speaking with Mary and Elizabeth um, because it says starting with verse 19 teach them that the holy breath will make them one again restoring harmony and peace that naught can make them one but love that Allah so loved the world that he clothed his son in flesh that man may comprehend the only savior of the world is love and Jesus son of Mary comes to manifest that love to men Now, love cannot manifest until its way has been prepared and naught can rend the rock and bring down lofty hills and fill the valleys up and thus prepare the way, but purity. But purity in life, men do not comprehend. And so it too was come in flesh. Okay? So that also lets you know for us to comprehend concepts in this plane of manifest, it has to be, there has to be some physical representation. Okay. So that's with that. Now, the interesting thing is that there's this controversy about the term in the beginning. Cause remember the, the same phrase in the beginning, in the beginning was a word you find in the book of Genesis, first chapter, first verse. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth, right? The Hebrew word for that is Barashif, Barashif Elohim, which basically you're saying that in the beginning, Elohim, right, which is plural, created. Now, I always say this. There is a difference between in the beginning and at the beginning. And people will say, well, what do you mean by that? The difference between in the beginning and at the beginning is equivalent to the difference between saying I'm at, in the house and I'm at the house. If you say I'm at the house, you literally could be outside of the house by the door, but you at the house. Where, where are you? I'm at the house. It means you just pulled up. If you say, where are you? I'm in the house. That literally means that you're inside of it. You pass the doorway to get in. Thus, it's the same with the beginning. To be at the beginning, it means to be by the very start point and even outside before the start point of the beginning. Because beginning marks time. I'm going to get into that to, to speak to time. Time never was and man was not, right? So to be in the beginning means that you are now within a time period. In fact, the Hebrew word barashif, from which you, from the phrase barashif ibrahim, in the beginning God, right? Translated, which is really God's plural, create the heavens and the earth. Barashif means, which is the name, the Hebrew name of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Torah. Barashif means in the beginning. Bah. The word for beginning is rashith. But you have the bah, which is actually the letter beth, right? And that means in. It literally translates as in or among, within or among. When Muslims say they pray in Arabic or they would uh, read a verse or ayat from the Quran, they'll say Bismillahirrahmanirrahim and that's translated as in the name of Allah the Yoda the Merciful, right? Or the Beneficent the Merciful in the, in the name of Allah the Beneficent the Merciful so bismi means in the name bih, bih, in or or by way of ismi, which means name, bismi Allah, in the name of Allah. So you're you're looking at this from the context of that statement being already past the start point. You're within the beginning phases of it just to give you a concept. So when we go and to drive that home, when you read the, the first chapter of the circle seven, creation and fall of man, the creation of fall of man, it says the following, time never was when man was not. If life of man at any time began, a time would come when it would end. The thoughts of Allah cannot be circumscribed. No finite man can comprehend things infinite. All finite things are subject unto change. All finite things will cease to be because there was a time when they were not. 
The bodies and the souls of men are finite things and they will change. Yea, from the finite point of view, the time will come when there will be no more. But man himself is not the body nor the soul. He is a spirit and a part of Allah. Creative fate gave to man, to spirit man, a soul that he might function on the plane of soul. Gave him a body of flesh that he might function on the plane of things made manifest. Why did creative fate give to man, to, I mean to spirit man, a soul that he might function on the plane of soul? Why did created fate give to soul a body of flesh that he might function on the things of plane of things that are made manifest, right? So why did created fate give to soul a body of flesh that he might function on the plane of things that are made manifest? When you go into the chapter furthermore in reference to um, chapter 11 it also says time never was when man was not that which begins will have an end if man was not the time will come when he will end right so everything that has a beginning will have an end everything that has a beginning will have an end so just putting that in the context of the logos so this is very important to recognize that you're dealing with a an expression of a thought. This ties back to my episode on thought is the cause of it all. And that thought is expressed in sound. Before the written word, there has to be the spoken word. The utterance. Utterance is sound. To utter something. That's the first vibration. Even thought is measured in a wave. As sound is measured in a wave. You have thought waves. That is frequency. Frequency is vibration. And vibration is commonly manifested as sound first. Even if frequency is manifested in light, light energy can convert to sound energy. Always. And we're going to get a little deeper into that. But what I want to kind of drive home in that when we deal with the beginning, right, is that we are constantly told that and this ties into the logos right we're tied we're from one hand you have a religious perspective of the beginning and the other hand you have a what they would call a scientific uh conventional scientific uh because most conventional science particularly in the western world Um, rejects a lot of the esoteric teachings and only to find out later that those esoteric teachings are indeed true. But just to kind of give you the concept, so 
on one hand from the the institutionalized religious aspect you have those who will say that a god or even gods did all the creation you know they just said it would happen and it was right even in the book of genesis even in the book of genesis when it comes to creation the creation is done in the form of words utterances let there be light and there was light right um even in when it talks about man there's a conversation there's words there is a conversation there's a talk i believe in genesis chapter 1 verse 29 i could be wrong but that section that speaks about when it says god said let us let us make man right I should say, I apologize. It's um, 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created he him male and female created he them right so to be clear there's a conversation and even in that that again proves the point that Elohim is plural you're not dealing with one being you're dealing with a council a group or a council of beings having a conversation about the creation of man. They're having a a conversation about the concept of man, right? And they say, let us, this is an idea. Let us do this. Sound like a good idea. Let's go ahead and make that happen. We'll make somebody who look like us and let that person have dominion over everything we just created. Right, as if they ju- they were just creating to create. They were just creating heavens and earth to do something, and then they said, oh, "You know what? Are we gonna do with this? Oh, I got an idea. Let's make a manager. <laughs> Let's make a man. He's gonna manage all this." So it's very interesting. But in the Quran of Mecca, or the Great Quran of Muhammad, Al Quran. It says um, that Allah simply says, um, be and it is. Or kun fayakun. Right? Kun fayakun. Exist and it comes into existence. Be and it is. So in each of these conversations, and there's other creation stories as well, there's countless creation stories that are similar um, stories that predate the Bible. When you get into ancient Samaria, ancient Kemet, what they call Egypt today, there are plenty of 
creation stories, right? And the whole point of it is, is that they all have a conversation involved. Thus, fast forward to the book of John. In the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So you have this word, this logos, this idea, this concept, this expression of that thought that is with God, who we call God. Whether you want to make God the Elohim, a council, or God just the one being, the creator, the universal creator, this word is one with him. Because the word, the logos is needed to make these things manifest. Whenever you have a conversation, you need to have, or when you have an idea, you need to have a conversation. And that's something to think about, even if it's in your head. But we're going to get more into that in the next half. Now, when it comes to the logos, um, the logos is is not only a term that is used within the Bible and or uh, more science. Uh, it also is referred to quite heavily in the theosophical doctrines um, in Shout out to Dr. Jose Pimienta Bay. Um, I did my interview with him sometime. Um, you can check that out. Uh, previously, I did the interview with him. And in his book, Othello's Children in the New World, in that specific chapter, chapter six, where he speaks about um, Sufism, Sufism, I should say, he mentioned about more science um, for one being likened to the theosophical teachings or being classified under that but uh, also giving a definition of what that is and we kind of explored that within the interview now interestingly enough within the Theosophical doctrine, it is it is recognized that there is one boundless immutable principle, one absolute reality um, from which all things manifest, basically. And it is considered to be beyond the range and reach of any human thought. Or expression right now this ties in with chapter one of the circle seven that I just read when I spoke about the when I said that the thoughts of a law cannot be circumscribed no finite man can comprehend things infinite all finite things are subject unto change all finite things cease to be 
because there was a time when they were not. Right? So, man is a thought of Allah and all thoughts of Allah are infinite. They are not measured up by time for things that are concerned with time begin and end. The thoughts of Allah are the everlasting of the past unto the never-ending days to come. And so is man, the spirit man. Okay? But my point of that being is simply that when we deal with being beyond the reach of any human thought or expression, we're dealing with going into divine thought. Thought that infinite thought. Because no finite man can comprehend things infinite. Right? So... That being said, the manifested universe is contained within this absolute reality. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The Sufis, um, they have an esoteric um, definition or meaning subscribed to the Kalimat. That in Kalimat means words. So we're getting back into the word, the logos, which is la ilaha illallah. When a Muslim, when a person converts to Islam and they give what's known as the shahada, which is bearing witness. Remember, bearing witness to the light, like John, the shahada. When they give their shahada, um, they say, ashadu an la ilaha illallah. And then after that, they say a series of other words. But the key phrase in that is la ilaha illallah. And that usually translates as there is no God but God. There is no God but Allah, right? The deeper esoteric meaning that is applied by the Sufis is that the there is no existence except through Allah or Allah the only reality, basically implying that the only reality is Allah. Allah is all, right? That it, Allah is the absolute reality. That is the name that Muslims um, attribute to the absolute reality. Okay? All, oh, you can't add to it and you can't take away from it. You can't take away from it because where would you put? You can't add to it because where would you get it from since the all occupy places all places and spaces of time. So again, the manifest the universe is contained within this absolute reality and is a conditioned symbol of it. So in the totality of this manifested universe that we have observed there are three aspects now this is according to three theosophical teachings there are three aspects that are to be conceived one is the unmanifested which is the precursor of the manifested the second is the the life or the spirit of the universe what they would call spirit matter and the third is the universal world soul okay so that's the unmanifested 
spirit life or cosmic spirit and then universal world soul and interestingly enough they identify these as the first logos the second logos and the third logos keep in mind the word logos is Greek for word the first logos the first cosmic logos the second cosmic logos and the third cosmic logos and from these three basic creative principles which is your triune right wisdom will and love from three manifest gives birth to breeze four seven right and we'll get, get we'll get into the actual portion of the circle seven that speaks of that from these three basic principles and we talked about this again in our previous episode holy trinity explained right from these um there are successive manifestations or emanations that are issued in an order sequence and from these you get your multiple countless universes or your multiverses that's what it said in reality this is none other than Kabbalah and I did a particular um, episode earlier that you can go back in the archive pertaining to Kabbalah the first one um, where I spoke about um, the creation of man the fall of man um, the Elohim and Kabbalah right so this is what would be called in Kabbalah the three veils the three veils of negative existence that's Ein Ein Sof and Ein Sof O Okay, so first I'm going to go into Ain. Keep in mind, we're dealing with the law of three. Ain, Ain, Sof, Ain, Sof, Er. So, Ain, which is the highest and the first of the veils, literally translates as nothing or no. So it's absolute emptiness. It is the state of nothingness. Okay, the word Ain means a state of nothingness, which denotes that which was before things came into existence. Now, the interesting thing about Ain is that in Gematria, which is a Hebraic form of numerology, Ain is a letter. And it is a letter that represents the number 70. 7 plus 0 equals 7. Okay? Keep that in mind. That goes back to the um, logo circle 7. Right? The logos circle 7. Now, When the letter, this letter, Ayn, actually comes from the Proto-Semitic Ayn in the Phoenician word, which is an eye shape. 
which goes back to the ear hieroglyph of ancient Kemet. So that's where you get your eye of Ra, right? The all-seeing eye. And in more science, we refer to that eye as the eye of Allah that you have on the divine constitution and bylaws, right? So even when you deal with Ra, one of the names in the Bible that's used to describe God is El Roy or El Ra'i, which means God who sees. That's mentioned in Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. And that name was mentioned by Hagar, who was from Egypt, Kemet. She's described as an Egyptian. So again, that ties back to Ra, the eye of Ra. Okay. So, and Hagar is actually mentioned in the Circle 7, um, chapter 45, verse 3, where it says the Egyptians who were the Hamathites and of a direct descendant of Misraim, the Arabians, the seed of Hagar, Japanese and Chinese. Okay. That is your eye of providence, which is a symbol, the all-seeing eye of God. That's a symbol usually displaying an eye surrounded by rays of light. So we're going back to the light. Okay. That's on the great seal of the United States. When you see that seal of the pyramid and in the triangle above the pyramid, where the capstone is removed, you have that triangle with the eye in it. Underneath it, you see the ribbon where it says Novos Ordo Seclorum, New World Order. That is your eye of providence. Right? And in the questionnaire, key 98 in the Morris questionnaire, the question is asked, what is Elohim sometimes called? The seven eyes of Allah. Okay? Also going back into where you get into the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 6, where it says, And be I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of four of the beasts, and of the four beasts, I should say, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And all throughout the book of Revelations, there's mention of seven angels, right? Seven spirits. You've got the seven seals, seven stars, seven lamps, seven trumpets, seven churches. All throughout, you have this uh, mentioning of the seven. that We know uh, Elohim are the seven created spirits that create everything that ever was, is, and never more to be. As mentioned in the Moorish, as, de- as defined within the Moorish questionnaire. So... That is, that's Ein, okay? By the time you get to Ein, so, so, so Ein would be equivalent to the first Logos in Theosophical Doctrine. By the time you get to Ein Sof, which is the middle of the three veils, okay? So it is a manifest or a progression from Ein, and it literally translates as no limit. I am from nothingness or no, no to no limit or limitless. So it describes the eternal in its purest sense. Right? So now you see the correlation. 
from nothing, which is the unmanifested, to limitless, which would be the spirit life or the spirit of the universe. Because the universe we look at as boundless. We don't really know the boundaries of what we classify as the universe, the cosmos. Right? So, from there, we get to the third veil. The lowest veil, which would be Ein Sof Or. Ein Sof Or would be known as limitless light or even limitless fire because or also translates as fire not just light but light by fire okay so why is that important because not a fire as in the fire that um that burns in campfires but an etheric fire when you go back um, back to chapter 2 in the circle 7 there's an interesting statement that is made about light and I'll just go into it so I'll start from verse 12 It says, we measure time by cycle ages. In the gate to every age, we deem a milestone in the journey of the race. An age has passed. The gate unto another age flies open at the age touch of time. This is the preparation age of soul. The kingdom of Emmanuel, of Allah, in man. In these, your sons will Be the first to tell the news and teach the gospel of goodwill to men in peace on earth. A mighty work is theirs. For carnal men want not the light. They love the dark. And when the light shines in the dark, they comprehend it not. We call these sons revealers of the light. But they must have the light before they can reveal the light. And you must teach your sons and set their souls on fire with love and holy zeal and make them conscious of their missions to the sons of men. So in that very last verse, I read from 12 to 17, verses 12 to 17. In verse 17, it says, and you must teach your sons and set their souls on fire. So... That fire is considered that ether, right? I have a whole um, episode about ether, that ethic fire, right? Like ether alcohol. The cosmic fire. It's a cosmic fire. Thus, the third cosmic logos is classified as the universal world soul. Your soul body is considered a light body. Right, but everyone's light is not bright. Some people's light are dim, thus they have not properly um, nourished their soul body. Okay, so while these are 
three, just three um, principles, they're very, very, very important, right? So if you think about like in the theory of relativity, right? If you were to travel at the speed of light, then strange things would happen to time and space. And you would experience yourself to be in all places and times at once. So you, in other words, would be omnipresent. This is the experience of light from its own perspective. Okay? So you're dealing with the nature of light itself. So to get back to that lesson of the triune, okay? That lesson of the triune is very, 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 very important. Dealing with um, wisdom, will, and love. But you have to be very, um, very understanding of what that is. Okay? Um, And we definitely will get into that about wisdom, will, and love. Because that is very important to understand that. So, if you go to... Chapter 10, verses 14, it says, The universal law is wisdom, will, and love. All men see not the triune law. One sees him as a law of might, another as a law of thought, another as a law of love. The man's ideal is his God, and so as man unfolds, his God unfolds. Man's God's today, tomorrow's not his God. The nations of the earth see Allah from different points of view. And so he does not see seem the same to every one. Okay. Man names the part of Allah he sees. And this to him is all of Allah. And every nation sees a part of Allah. And every nation has a name for Allah. You Brahmins call him Parabram. In Egypt he is Thoth. And Zeus is his name in Greece. Jehovah is his Hebrew name. But everywhere, he is the causeless cause, the rootless root from which all things have grown. Now, that's dealing with the triune. Now, I want to get back into sound, and this will wrap things up. And again, for those who are interested in this, definitely feel free to check out my website, shemel.com, to get more information and to check out my literature as well. But getting into this sound, okay, when you deal with vibration, you're dealing with sound. As I mentioned before, this is mentioned in chapter one of the circle seven, okay, where it speaks about the plane of soul is but the ether of the spirit plane vibrating not so fast. And in the slower rhythm of this plane, the essences of life are manifest. Just that phrase alone, vibration, anything that vibrates, manifests itself at some point as sound. Now, you have different types of sound. One type of sound is the sound that is only is 
is the one that's only heard within the range of the human ear. Okay? This is this is very important. Okay? Now, what does that mean? Why am I even saying that? I'm saying that because there are frequencies that you cannot hear. Like pitches. A dog can hear. Like if you blow a dog whistle, you can't hear it, but the dog can hear it. So there are frequencies that exist outside of your range. But there are frequencies that you can hear. Those are, those frequencies that you hear are called sonic sounds. Right? They're called sonic sounds. Now, the sounds that you cannot hear are usually called ultrasonic. Okay? Ultrasonic sounds. And there's another term for um, sounds outside of the sound spectrum. Just like you have ultra um, outside of the the seven lights, you have ultraviolet and infrared. Those are lights that are beyond the visible light spectrum. You have sounds that are beyond the audible um, sound spectrum of humans. But there are sounds, just because you can't hear them doesn't mean you can't feel them. It doesn't mean they don't exist, and it doesn't mean you can't feel them. In fact, before you, the mystery of sound is that before you hear the sound, you'll feel the sound. Because feeling is the only true perception. Anything you break down, it deals with contact. Sound waves hit the eardrum, that's contact, that's a feel. Light waves hit your the lens of your eye, that's contact, that's a feel. Um, fragrances, they have to contact your, um, your nose buds, or whatever they call it. Um, the senses, whatever perceives the sense of smell. Food has to touch your tongue in order for you to taste. Again, that's a contact. That's feeling. So the true, the the one true perception or sensation is first that of touch. It's really touch. And everything else is emanations from the touch, manifest from the touch. So... That is to be understood. So why is this important? Because when we get into the logos, we're getting into the word. We have to develop ourselves in such a way where we raise our frequencies to be perceptive of these sights, these lights, the light, the sound. Because these, again, we're getting into from the low, from the from the third to the second to the first from getting into the limitless and getting beyond that which is of the human perception 
and this is very key. That's why music is very important. If you notice, well, first, I, I just want to drop a little, just a little, a tidbit on the word no, because we went into the ayin. Ayin means no. Interesting thing is that at nine months, it is said, it is reported by doctors that at nine months, a baby, um, when they start talking, one of the first words they learn is no. And it, anyone who's been a parent will attest to there's a time period. They say usually when the terrible twos that a child is frequently likes to say no, 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 no. No is pretty much the easiest word to comprehend and express. Even when a when a child is frustrated, they don't know how to articulate. They'll just say no, no. They'll yell. Right? Nine months. Nine months after they're born, they set start saying no. Usually. It it, it varies depending on a child, but as an average. Now contrast it takes nine months average for a child to be born nine months for a child to be born and then within the beginning (laughs) in the beginning time the word is no children learn through negation most human beings learn by the process of negation that's why in the genesis story you have the aspect of the tree of life don't touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil they were told not to do it they touched it and then they had to learn their lessons by not touching it parents usually teach their child by telling them what not to do because they come from the realm by which there is no limits they're coming from the the soul plane and the spirit plane so children will do things that we can't even, as you as you get older you wouldn't dare do climb the tree to the highest point jump down the highest flight of stairs. I'm speaking from experience. All these things, they come from a realm of limitlessness and now they have to come into the matrix dealing with limits. One of the the easiest and most fascinating forms of expression is music. Your most creative people are those who deal with sound because those sounds activate um, untapped areas of your psyche, your brain, as well as your spirit to get you in tune with the universe. And so it's very important to learn um, frequencies like your 432 hertz and things of that nature. Get into those studies and to develop yourself to expound and be one with that logos. And again, this episode um, is just an introduction but I hope it has served you well. So until next time, peace and love.